sure. Mutual. I know you, but um, yeah, no, thanks. Uh, thanks for, uh, for coming on. And um, you know, I, I, I love your music. Um, like I told you before, um, I mean, your, your tracks are, it's just different. It's unique. And I, and I think that, I think it's a tough environment today because everyone sounds the same, right? I mean, it's yeah. easy for anyone, I mean, to create a track, put some software loops, auto-tune vocals, and you lose that uniqueness, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, how, how do you get around that today? Um, I think the uniqueness is for better or worse for me, um, but I don't have any other real way to create. I think... Um, you know, when I actually, I'm from Detroit, and when I moved to LA, um, I needed health insurance and uh, data on my phone. I didn't want to just use Wi-Fi and shit. So I moved to LA, and I wanted to make, I wanted to write and produce. And I would be steering my creative car to try and, you know, make something that didn't sound unique in order to attain these things to survive, so to speak. And every time I'd be making something, the car would just steer left somehow and it would just end up being this creation. I think um, I, I didn't really listen to the radio much until I, grew, I came to L.A. Um, I was raised on all sorts of stuff that we were talking about a bit off camera, just a crazy eclectic set of influences that, um, you know, it made me weird at first, but as I grew up, I found solace in my inability to, you know, target really common tropes, um, at least ones that seem more fleeting to me. Um, but yeah, I think trying to be anything, it doesn't really work out much, uh, at least for me. I think just creating and um, kind of seeing what happens is how it goes for me. I think I try and target an emotion rather than a sound or some sort of um, explicit genre. So when you create music, do you attach yourself to an outcome at all? I don't. When I do, I feel as though I suffer. Anytime I focus on results, um, I suffer. I do get off when I I'm in a studio session and um, I get to go in the car after and I listen to it and I turn it up and I'm like, how did that just happen? What's how? I I think being a a creative is one of the most uh, human examples um, because there's all these micro decisions that you have this uh, facade of control and you're controlling the EQ and you're controlling the lyrics and the melody and but you can't control the ultimate thing of when someone else hears it and you can't really always control the state that you're in when you hear it back or you can't control um, the mood you were in before there's ways to alter it but you it's the perfect uh, distillation of just living with it's like fane of controls you know like uh we can set this interview up and have topics but um as creatives and people trying to dig into something it's like once you take that first step um you quickly realize that you're never really in control um 
So I don't know if that's a bit more cerebral, but I think, yeah, I don't, I, anytime I'm in the results, I really suffer. I agree. I don't look for results either. I don't look at outcome. I do, but not in a detrimental way. I think we're living in a society today, though, that that doesn't encourage creation. It doesn't encourage creators. I think in a society today, when you go through school and you go through college, it's a measurement based result system, yeah. right? You take a class, oh, you get a B, but you could have got an A or you failed. See, the, all these basically, they're the grades and they're there to tell you how well you did. Oh, I think it's, I think it's exponentially. So yes, not to cut you off at all, but, but I think the difficult thing that I struggle with is that, okay, you're, you're referencing school and um, career and, um, and um, the conditioning, the, the more archaic and uh, really locked in forms of, of social conditioning for people. But, you know, originally um, those institutions were breeding grounds for the greatest creativity and the greatest thinkers, the people who were afforded the ability to take their raw materials and become Aristotle, so to speak. Or, you know, as Plato was if he was naked, but it, the people around him were, were rich enough to just sit and listen and it changed things. Um, but I, I really like what you said because I've been thinking lately about how school and learning, um, they give you a tool to make your brain explode and be the greatest creative muscle of all time. But then all of a sudden they slap you with a grade and then it's inherently comparative. This phone, um, it has tools on there to make everything that I dream of become a reality. And then boom, there's a number next to it. And boom, there's a heart. And boom, there's recommendations. And it's um, a very sick way of, uh, it's a very dangerous way of like, you know, giving us these incredible tools, but then also giving us these rating systems. And I think there's a lot of, uh, beauty in that and there's a lot of danger in that i think but um, yeah no, i agree and, and and you're absolutely right i mean the institutions that do grade and say you either pass or fail they did produce great thinkers but i i don't know i think that changed today i don't think that the same institutions are present or the same institutions that produced aristotle mm -hmm. I, I think that instant, you know, people are afraid to fail today. And as an artist, as a creator, you can't be afraid to fail, right? I mean, it's all about failing. I mean, it's yeah. like failing over and over again. And people who come through or are used to this grade-based system, I mean, when they fail once, they're they're done, they're over. Yeah. And it's just being a creator is is all about, again, taking chances, not attaching yourself to results and outcome. I mean, there does come a point though, where yeah. there does come a point where you have to attach yourself 
to, or at least look at feedback. Can I tell you something? I remember I was working with an artist and he said to me, he wrote some songs and he said to me, and I gave him some feedback. They were kind of demo stages. Is Dean, here's the thing. I'm just looking for people to believe in me. I want to be on, I want to be like just people on my team. And when I deliver stuff, I just want you to believe in it. And I'm saying to myself, okay, he said everything in one second. You're not a professional. You're an amateur. Because right. what you're writing, you don't care what other people think about your work. You're only doing it for yourself. Sure, you do want to do it for yourself. But there comes to a point when you're a professional, when you ship your creative work, you are looking at feedback. And you, sure. are, and you do want to make those adjustments. If you're never looking at feedback and you're never going to make adjustments, it just means you're not a professional. It means sure. you're an amateur. And an amateur is like, listen, I'm going to sit in my room. I'm going to write a book, but I'm just going to write a book for myself. I'm not interested in anyone else reading that book. That's mm -hmm. And I'm not saying an amateur is bad. An amateur can be really good. It's just they're not taking that professional route as a creator. I mean, mm -hmm. would you do that? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's uh, the, 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 the clear line of um, an amateur versus a professional, not that one has more talent or prowess than the other. Yes. Um, you're right. If it was, um, if it was something that had no um, longing for feedback or, or necessity for feedback, we wouldn't be focusing primarily on music in this conversation. We would just probably just keep this conversation unrecorded. That being said, I think there are different forms of feedback. Um, there's a feedback loop, there's a bubble. I, I've lived in Silver Lake, I've lived in Detroit. I've, you know, there's, um, there's feedback that uh, is noise and then there's feedback that's an elixir or like very vital for any creative or really just people in general. Um, and I think that it takes a good uh, North Star for anyone to pick the right constructive feedback. Um, I, grew, I grew a lot from um, sitting with um, great songwriters uh, that I've had a chance to meet and they may not say that's not very good. Actually, there was one time, you remember the band Days of the New? Of course. Uh, I was one time sitting on a couch. I was probably, it's one of my oldest memories. I was probably, you know, nine years old or eight. I don't know. And I'm sitting with this guy, Travis Meeks. And um, he's like, I have a guitar. I have the guitar in the closet right here. It's one of my only possession that I've probably had since then um and I play this song for him and he just says that is that's god awful that's one of the worst things I've ever heard and I was like oh my god like and then he took the guitar I was like I'm gonna play you a song called Eatin' Crow and I was like first of all I was just so shook and it was exhilarating because it came from a place of somebody who's put in so much time into their craft and somebody who's 
tap some sort of wellspring and obviously he could have used more delicate words or whatever like I, I was just exhilarated by the fact that I had evoked a response and then I went in my bedroom for a long time and figured out how to be better um and I think that moment was really cool as opposed to you know when I was on Interscope if they um promoted a, a song by me to a fan of Machine Gun Kelly and they might not get it. Maybe the Venn diagram wasn't quite lining up. And then I get a DM saying like, you're, you're ass or some sort of expletive thing. And I'm like, this feedback coming from this person doesn't mean that they hate me. I think it means that um, I'm not showing up for them in a manner that they would hope an artist shows up for them and they don't have the vocabulary in that moment to articulate their frustration. And so it becomes, um, I hate you, suck your own dick. And I'm like, I'm not that flexible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know how you've seen, uh, seen things change over, over your career. I'm sure you've seen like, really good moments of um, feedback and really troubling moments of just miscommunications, I'd, I'd imagine. Of course, no, absolutely. Now you mentioned that um, you signed with Interscope, which is, it's funny, speaking about change, I mean, Interscope, they had a, a, a wide variety of artists, but they, they definitely, morphed into a different label i mean they started out as like a punk label back in the day signing like you know right i mean these punk bands but um so you signed with interscope and did you actually release music through interscope yeah and to your point i was enamored with the rebellious qualities of all the acts that they signed when i was growing up you know eminem tupac nine inch nails um and, and on and on, and it just seemed like the artist label. And I released three projects on Interscope and it was a, uh, it was a cordial and um, copacetic relationship always. Um, but I think as I got deeper into my recovery and um, so I signed with Interscope. They gave me amount of money that I had never had. I went from having zero dollars to not a crazy amount of money that someone else with actual money would think, but I could go and buy, like, I bought a car. I, I got a Ford. I got um, various things. I was afforded whatever I wanted in the moment. I mean, I'm a pretty modest person, so it was, like, really fun. And then um what kind of car did so he get i got a ford expedition nice nice and i could fit all my gear in it um i had a pedal board the size of the trunk uh at the time nice. uh but shortly after that i became um i just hit a bottom with my addictions and you know, I didn't really want to die uh, in my heart. And so I took a, a little moment of um, 
reprieve and to work on my mental health and kind of exit the, uh, I, I think that with my addiction, it was really dangerous for me to operate in an ecosystem that rewards such extreme natures of caricature and um, soul mutilation, I guess, for lack of better words. Um, and I feel like I was on a label that had one of the biggest artists in the world, Juice World, who I was looked up to so much. And when he passed, it was like, they make so much money off of him. And the industry seems to make so much disproportionate amount of money off of martyrdom, off of um, young people's pain. Um, and it really just, uh, it got to me. And um, I feel like when certain ones of my contemporaries got deeper into their addiction and just rode that wave so deeply, it was like, whether it was coincidence or just a uh, bit of a faulty setup industry-wise, it seemed as though they were being pushed to the brink of their destruction. And when I took a step away, um, the communication fizzled out. And to me, um, it was just very notable to me. And uh, I still have great respect for the people in that building and, uh, a great love for some of the people there. John Janik, the CEO, he um, he understood that I, I needed to go forward my own way. And I'm making this EP and all the money from the masters go to charity for addiction um, recovery programs. And that, that now when you were, so um, when you were on like, so, so what was, how did he make that connection? Like, was it a certain song that they liked? Oh, for Interscope? Um, yeah. <laughs> so my best friend slash manager at the time um he sent an email he was an assistant okay. uh at william morris and he sent an email to bonnaroo uh under the auspice that his boss wanted this new artist on a stage um yoshi flower needs a stage somewhere if you have room because they had just booked all the headliners and obviously being in the industry, you know that if you provide a late, uh, festival, a headliner, sometimes they'll give you opportunities for the other acts that you represent if they like the music, you know? Mm -hmm. Or it depends how big the headliner is. You know, if, if Scooter Braun has Justin Bieber headline, he can have whatever young people get a slot at 2 p.m. But long story short, um, my friend cold emailed Bonnaroo, but had the WME, or excuse me, let's, the agency, I'm gonna restart that question, please edit that out. My friend uh, cold emailed Bonnaroo with his agency assistant email tag at the end of it. And they listened to the music. I saw the private SoundCloud tick up to two plays and he got a response that said, Yoshi Flower can play at the Who stage at 2.30 PM. And I was like, holy shit, I had no music out. Um, I went to Bonnaroo. I was high out of my mind. Um, and we hung up these political yard signs all over the grounds that said, take acid and see Yoshi Flower 2 p.m. Sunday. And sure enough, we showed up to the set and there was hundreds of kids there waiting. 
and we were like holy shit and throughout the set it grew to be you know a thousand two thousand people at this small stage and it became this uh you know movie-like moment where after the show the the flower children as they dubbed themselves were like lifting me up on their shoulders the security guard came to the back and he was like hey there's some kids out here that want merch I was like merch I don't even have any fucking music out I can't provide anyone anything right now but I'll go give them a hug and I came out and they're like all there and I think there were various people in the crowd Mm -hmm. one of them being uh an A&R and a lawyer one who who are affiliated with Interscope. And, so they uh, saw you out of show. Yeah. And uh, I think that that pinged me on the radar. And then um, I was it was it was almost an old school thing that you probably see less and less. I was playing shows around LA. I was playing guitar, making loops, and playing beats, opening wherever I could, and just creating a buzz in the in the local city, like I would do when I needed uh, $80 to split between me and friends at a dive bar in Detroit. It was just the same. It's in my DNA to go play shows at bars. You know, um, my dad would have me play shows at this place, PJ Logger House, when I was like 12 years old. If an opener for a band that had a showcase dropped out, he'd be like, oh, I got a kid who can play. And I'd go and play, uh, you know, Neil Young covers and uh, big star covers and all this shit. And so it was really a blur, but Interscope was cool, man. Um, so what happened is you spent some time on the label. Um, now, did he, re- so how many songs did he release through the label? Was it two, three? I released, no, I released like 40. Four, okay, wow, 40 songs through the label, wow. Yeah, something like that. Um, I released three um, projects. Okay. And uh, I think it was a very, it was a very, uh, the relationship with the label was very, it was just very cordial and very chill and very, um, I make the music, I send it to them, I tell them the date, and then they're like, okay, sounds good. Um, And it really came to a head when I just, I wanted to make this project and donate all the money to charity and um, talk about things that were less cryptic and explicitly talk about my journey with recovery. And um, I just was voicing um, a bit of disdain that I had for the current prevailing winds of um, the entertainment industry. And um, it just came to a point where we just mutually were like, you know, this relationship doesn't seem like we are uh, sharing the same integral qualities. And when you're with someone, you know, even in this conversation, if we were so on drastic different pages, we'd be like, this is not very enjoyable. So, I find myself in a lot of that situation sometimes. <laughs> you know, it's life. I mean, now you mentioned about recovery. Um, so now, so what happened in that whole aspect? So, I mean, we, we addicted to pills, we addicted to alcohol. Was it everything? Yeah, pretty much everything. Um, oddly, the um, 
you know, I'm a huge music fan. I live and breathe music as it seems as though you do as well. Um, and at first I was drawn to the extremes that artists got down with and the mythos of the rock star life that I was exposed to at a really young age. And as I got older, um, on one hand, I knew the destruction it was bringing to my own life and the people around me. But once I began to see artists that I had grown up on die, and it wasn't like listening to Jimi Hendrix or Kurt Cobain or even Amy Winehouse, like things that were just so before my time, I never grew with them. Um, and when I saw people like Mac Miller and Peep and Juice World and those people start to have their lights be turned out when they have these incredible shining souls, I was like, it was just very like clear wake up calls to me that like, it just doesn't need to be the narrative anymore. A lot of those things, those mythos things. Are so, not. so Josh, when when you so when you kind of got into this drug lifestyle, was it for, was it because I, I say was it because it seemed glamorous? You had, you know, you, you saw, you know, people that you respected and musicians and artists, you know, kind of embrace this lifestyle, which they do, and they're like, I'm going to try it too. Or was it because you were suffering from other conditions? I mean, I, I had a friend who was an artist, singer that just, I mean, you know, passed away. But I mean, he had a lot, he had a lot of demons in his head. I mean, I don't, when he, when he, when addictions overtook his life, it wasn't because he was trying to live a glamorous lifestyle or, or got caught into this. He was doing this because he was very unsettled himself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I would say to that question, I began doing drugs and drinking because of my deep demons and insecurities and sadness and inability to feel comfortable in my own skin. But I was able to justify it by the glamour or the myth of a suffering artist or a rock star mentality or pushing things to the extreme and the destruction um, that was put on display for me. And I don't blame that because it's put on display for everybody, but not everybody ends up waking up and having no idea what occurred last night, but then still needing to do it again. Um, you know, when I started drinking and smoking weed when I was 12, I wasn't shorter than anyone anymore. I wasn't poorer than anyone anymore. I wasn't um, less funny than anyone anymore. I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I, I just felt okay. And then, as I said, it was a simultaneous magnetism because I was, I had posters of Jimi Hendrix on my wall that my dad put up there. I had posters of Bob Marley on my wall. I had posters of Janis Joplin, like, when I was five years old and it just seemed like this a meshing of a hole in my heart and a photograph of how you escape those emotions 
in the quickest way and that and I was already so in love with music so it was um it's a really conflicting thing for me because I would never blame music for um my times of self-destruction um but yeah i don't know um yeah you know i mean drugs are like obviously right josh i mean drugs are a great numbing agent yeah and um they're they're a great numbing agent mm -hmm. but what's interesting today is i don't know if you heard about this i mean the pharmaceutical companies have like, like in America, I mean, by the way, let me ask you this. Are, are you like, are you completely free of all substance right now? I mean, or, I mean, do you do anything? No, uh, I'm drinking coffee. Okay. But outside of coffee, like you I'm smoke smoking uh, nicotine vapes on occasion. Okay. Um, but and you, that's as far as I go. Yeah. That, now do you take any like kind of mood stabilizers or anything like that? I don't take anything. Um, thank God. Um, right. I know that many people, um, that is a saving grace to their um but you existence can, right can, can I, and, but here's the thing you know like here is like to me the next big next big debate in this country you know we're talking about drugs we're talking about insecurities we're talking about getting hooked on drugs because we're insecure well for the last like 20 years, the pharmaceutical companies, right, have pushed drugs on people called SSRIs. Yeah. Right? Mm hmm Okay. Now, you, do you know what SSRIs do? Um, I don't know chemically what they do explicitly, but I've seen my friends... Um, have varying experiences uh, engaging with them, but please inform me. Right, okay, well, SSRIs, basically the, the drug companies say that we have several neurotransmitters in our brain. You know, for instance, um, cigarettes, nicotine hits the, 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 the dopamine neurotransmitter. So mm -hmm. basically when you smoke, when you vape, is you feel good because it's dopamine. Now, when you quit smoking or quit nicotine, you have a, a decrease in dopamine because when, when you take nicotine, it kind of messes the way it, it regulates in the head, okay? We have, our, our, our minds produce a regular levels of dopamine. When you smoke, it increases it. When you stop smoking, it goes down a little bit. You get past the two or three weeks of kind of, and then everything normals and you're like, oh, I feel good. So another major uh, neurotransmitter in her head that they identified is something called serotonin. So basically, they say people who are depressed, they say like their serotonin levels are low, okay? So what the drug companies did is they created something called SSRIs, which basically they are the, the, the Paxil drugs, they're the Prozac, they're the Zoloft's. So they increase the serotonin in your head. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And that's the cure for depression. You're good. Take the drug. We take the slow serotonin in your head. We regulate it. We give it a boost. Get out of bed. Enjoy your life. Now, that is the entire premise of like depression and clinical depression. It's basically about the neurotransmitters. Well, there was a study that came out today along with a scientist that says there is no clear evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin levels. Wow. Research, researchers say their findings are important as studies show there are many as 90% of the public believes, 90% of the public believes that depression is caused by low serotonin or chemical imbalance. Most antidepressants are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and were originally said to work by correcting low serotonin levels. So here's the thing. The popularity of the chemical imbalance theory, like I'm depressed, you're depressed because we all have chemical imbalances. That theory has led to a huge increase of people taking antidepressants. So you follow what I'm saying? Sure. So now that theory now is being challenged. Mm. So uh, it's kind of interesting is, I think in the last two years, you've seen this living in this country, in the world, there has been so many things that, sorry, there's been so many things that has challenged like kind of the status quo. I'm just, I think this is just big news. I I think that people are going to wake up because as an artist, an artist are on these mood stabilizers. You see that. And I'm not like against it. I'm all like, hey, whatever you want to take. I mean, I would never tell anyone what they should be taking. But I just just think it's responsible to understand the side effects of drugs. And mood mood stabilizers create emotional bluntness. Like Mm -hmm. mood stabilizers, like how can you be an artist and do your best work when your mood and your emotions are blunted. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot to unpack there. I think, first of all, I've always been a huge believer that um, treating a symptom is just that. I think taking any sort of medication without coupling it with an experience or some sort of experiential work is just uh, just that taking a drug. Um, I've had very close friends um, take forms of anti-depression or anti-psychotic medications and coupling that with really soul work. And um, if, if someone's medicine can give them a chance to live, I'm all for that. Um, you know, for instance, for me, when I started drinking and smoking, I was like, I found my medicine. I feel okay. Um, and I think, I will say, I mean, some artists can create under any circumstances, whether blunted or um, enhanced chemically. Um, but I think the idea of a drug is, uh, I'll say if an SSRI keeps someone around, and stop someone from killing themselves, I am all for that. I think 
there's always going to be times where the status quo of healthcare and treatment is questioned. You know, we used to put leeches on people to get their blood off or whatever. And it, I, I talk about this with friends. It's like, what practices are going to be out the window in a hundred years? You know, hopefully we're right in some things we're doing. And a study like that is earth shattering. I know SSRIs, it's a lot stickier because companies make billions of dollars off of it. And, Absolutely. Yeah. you know, this form of conversation, they can't, they can't commodify it and they can't, there's always going to be a generic form of soul work, you know, that we right. can just- and, and you do realize like pharmaceutical companies, they don't like this stuff getting out to the public. I mean, this, you're not going to see this on like the news tonight. No, but I think, I think the idea of a drug or something that we, you, like, I think recovery almost for me is similar to a drug where, except it's like sustainable medicine instead of a deathly one. Um, they're both very transformative endeavors. You know, I felt equal parts of shame and excitement when I would use drugs as my medicine. And I felt moments of being ashamed um, and moments of exhilaration in my recovery. You know, I was ashamed on one sense because I finally admitted I couldn't be a normal person anymore and I couldn't use drugs without going to the brink of self-destruction. Um, but I also felt the excitement of having this new experience and have, being a part of a group of people who did like really interesting things. And I think the difference between a drug or a endeavor or a alteration, like a recovery program and using a drug is that the recovery program uh, gives you life and a drug regimen takes away your life and either one you need I mean I personally needed those at different points in my life to survive um, right totally but yeah I think it's you know and I also I think it's um I think it's really hard to talk about these types of topics and try and generalize them because I have a feeling that there may be certain people that benefit from an SSRI. I think the percentage of people prescribe them is way overblown. Um, and I think I have certain friends that smoke weed and are just, you know, so connected to their body. And it, it's a, it's a, an amazing thing for them. And I think uh, as individuals, it's just so, it's such a myriad of experiences that it, so it, it is, but, but that is the point, as you mentioned, it's like, a lot of this stuff is overblown. You know, the, you know, the, the goal of a, of a, any big pharma companies, they want to expand the market. I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, they, they want to take something and, and although it's good for a, a certain group of people, they want to expand that market where there's more people taking the drug, whether they need it or not. You, you know this, I think everybody knows this. Um, but so you mentioned though, you, you kind of grew up in this kind of rock star lifestyle with, you know, having these artists come to your house. So your mom played in the Warriors, that the, the famous 1980 movie. And, yeah. you, and your father was a, you know, a, a music manager, music lawyer himself. So, so yeah, your mom played in the Warriors. Like, tell me about that. I mean, famous movie, as you mentioned, iconic scenes. Yeah. Tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. Growing up, I was, thrusted right into the world of uh, pushing the creative limits, so to speak. Uh, my mom 
I saw the movie The Warriors when I was like five, six, seven years old. It's an R-rated movie. My mom shoots a gun. She like makes out with a guy. She's, you know, in a gang called the Lizzies. Yeah. And I looked up to that I, and I admired her ability to, uh, to express herself. And I, I, I really romanticized the idea of like the vixen qualities of entertainment, but also just high quality entertainment. You know, it's not all um, just being presented some picture of darkness. It's being presented a high level of self-expression. Um, my dad took me to a Metallica concert when I was five, six, seven years old. Um, and I remember just being so enamored with the grit and the sweat and the the just going for it itness hyphen itness of it all. Um, yeah, I had rock stars come to my house. I had, you know, Steven Tyler leaving me a voicemail on my phone, like when I was making little rap songs as a young teenager, and he'd be like, you got the right key, but you got the wrong keyhole. You need to stop doing this and start doing this. He's like, stop <laughs> rapping and start singing. And I'm like, I'm like, dad, who is this? He's like, oh, that's Steven Tyler. I'm like, yo, what? Um, but yeah, I was always, um, I felt really grateful to be exposed to all of those amazing uh, artistic souls and, um, but it was always mostly just the, I was feeding off of it. I never really, you know, my dad and my mom, they just, uh, <laughs> they didn't really, you know, tell me to be an artist or, or uh, give me any sort of like connections or like, I'm sure maybe if I asked them, maybe they'd be like, oh, I could help you out with this, but they're just very free spirited people and very, um, they promote individuality and they promote um, just uh, really finding the things that you get off on and just tracking them down and doing them. And I was really grateful for that. I remember one time <laughs> my friend, this DJ Grizz, we went to high school together and he, he was older and he said, hey, if you do this program called like gifted artist, talented something, GTA program, you can skip an hour a day. And all you have to do is turn in an album at the end of the year. And I was like, okay. So I make, I would make an album. My dad would like help me cut it on like an eight track thing. And like, uh, that was a cool experience. And, uh, and really I would just skip school an hour a day and just smoke tons of weed and just chill and like watch anime. But then one night I'm doing the showcase, the recital, and I hear my voice through monitors. I'm like, mom, why didn't you tell me that my voice was so shitty? And she was like, well, I never said it was good. And that was kind of always the, you know, back and forth until I did something really great, um, until I made a couple of records, you know, then eventually my mom was like, this is, quality work and it and it was great to have as you said you know a mother who was in a cult classic film to be able to tell you finally like that's a good piece of work um 
but yeah, I was exposed to a lot very early. I mean, so yeah, I mean, Steven Tyler calling you, I mean, your mom's in a famous 80s movie. I, I mean, that's kind of cool. I mean, if I woke up and I got a call from Steven Tyler on a, on a message, I think I'd be dreaming. I, I don't think I'd be like, it's real. Yeah, it's been a, um, an interesting life to say the least. So uh, <laughs> it's very, um, I feel like I've avoided a lot of, uh, opportunities where I could have uh, talked about this type of stuff or kind of used things to like seem as though I have some sort of prestige or aura or some bullshit that a lot of people would exploit and caricaturize there and no knock on that that's an art form in itself but I don't really um, find any joy in uh, the exploits of um, talking about things I've done other than applying them to the emotion that I use to create my music. I like talking about it with you because you're clearly a music lover and someone who, you know, as you said, it's like, it's not, when you say, if I got a call from Steven Tyler, it'd be like a dream. You're not like, oh, like it's a celebrity, da, 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 like fuck all that. Like, no, it's this amazing vocalist who could sing for 16 hours in between their throat and nose somehow and hit notes that James do an impression of James Brown and have it come out being this crazy gritty 70s thing and um yeah you know what I I'm not a fanboy I've never been impressed by like the celebrity that lure um I again you know what I like is I I respect people and I respect anybody Josh who contributes something to the world yeah. who who leaves a footprint not because they're a better person. It's because, I mean, there's a lot of people who live life who, who aren't, you know, celebrities or you may, who've contributed a lot to the world and, and their towns and the people around and they, they've done good. But I think when people leave this kind of um, other footprint, this artistic footprint, kind of a statement footprint, I mean, I, I do think it takes, it's a brave effort. It takes a courageous act to put yourself out on the line. And that's why I like creators. I respect creators, any creators. Uh, I mean, let's look at artists. I mean, you're an artist. You really are, I would say, a leader in a way, or a leader. Why? Because you are willing in your short life on earth to take your thoughts, your feelings, your life, put it down and put it out there. A lot of people don't want to do that. Most people don't want to do that. And, and I'm not judging them because of that, but that's just the fact. Because, and, but there's some people that do want to do that, that, but would never do that because of a couple of things. They're just maybe lazy. They're afraid of being judged. They're afraid of what we talked about, failure, because they came from that grade based system. <laughs> I mean, there's not one answer. All I, but there is, but there is a logical answer where people like yourself, you're an artist, you're putting yourself out there, you signed a label, which a lot of people would love to be on a label like that. But I, I don't think you're impressed by that label. I mean, like, hey, they've done good for me. We collaborated together. Um, but I'm going to move on. Maybe I'll collaborate with other people in the future, other labels in the future. Maybe I will, maybe I won't, but 
but I don't think that's your purpose as an artist or your purpose for existence. I think what you want to do is to ship creative work. You have things to say, things to talk about, and you want to put it out there. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think in life, the uh, I think it's all, all about doing what compels you. And I think for me, to touch back on my drug use, I think I got a. For me personally, I had the inability to remember what was compelling me, and it began to be. I'm compelled to get high again instead of I'm compelled to create something that I want to witness. You know, there's a, there's a great quote I love from Rick Rubin, who's, you know, the sage, the wisdom giver of us all. Um, he says, when he's asked to give advice to young creators, what advice would you have? He says, make what you want to hear. And I've always you know, subscribe to that as well. And now I'm at a point where I'm like, okay, I would like to be what I want to see exist. And I bring that up to say, I don't do this with the intention of to be a leader explicitly, but I do do this um, with the intention to see something that I've always want to see, which is there's this high level of creative execution that comes along with a lot of vixen or more dark tonally um, themes or sounds. You know, when you hear Enter Sandman by Metallica, it's like, bro, this is the devil's work. <laughs> you know, it's quite, uh, there's, a, there's a, an allure to just the, macabre like uh, uh, to the vixen expression and when i hear future be like percocet molly percocet like i've played that song a thousand million times in my car i love it but what i haven't seen and what i want to see is somebody execute the other side of the coin and have it be regarded at high level artistically the same way that i regarded um, you know, Jimi Hendrix having acid tabs in his headband when he plays and, you know, Mick Jagger going in the back and pretend, or no, Steven going in the back to pretend to drink from a Coca-Cola, but he's really snorting cocaine on a straw. It's like, I don't believe that that high level of creative execution has to only be relegated to the destructive realms. And when I was growing up, I had, I could have listened to Eminem and him talk about, you know, doing out of this world acts of violence and um, his, his creation was so high level. I had an option to listen to that or I had an option to listen to like Macklemore, which for me, when he's talking about his recovery or sobriety or things like that, like I didn't relate necessarily to the way that its presentation was, I guess. I knew it was great and I had friends that really loved it, but I personally wanna see, and I don't know if it's possible, but again, to touch on about finding results in creations, the result I wanna see is I wanna be able to make something that is as high level or as gritty or as 
you know, balls to the wall as like Future or Metallica or like Eminem or the Tyler, the creator, the things that I look at and I'm just like floored by. But I want to express my story of being somebody who's a recovering drug addict and someone who just doesn't really want to die. And I think it's possible. I say, why not? Um, and I just want to do it in a manner that's something I want to see that I think uh, I would want to watch. Um, I don't see why I can't dress like, um, you probably can't see, but I, I'd like to dress as though I'm in like a 1970s French movie and I'm like 65 years old and and I don't want to and I want to be able to express myself playing a hard ass guitar riff like brown paper bag but I want to be able to say a lyric like you know I almost died last night I'm happy I didn't and just like I don't know if that makes sense but I'd like to be an expression of that that's what I want to see I guess um so let me ask you this yeah you're very expressive Obviously, TikTok is the go-to platform today for musicians and artists. Do you think TikTok works for you? I mean, do you, I mean, do you think that do you think TikTok benefits you as an artist where you want to be? I think that TikTok can benefit anyone. I think that, in all honesty, I have not put in the time to make it something that works for me. I think that a lot of people in this age, forever, people have um, done the things that they're natural at. And then something comes along and uh, they may not be a natural at it. And if they're not, they got to put in the work. Um, I'm not a natural at TikTok. I, I'm, I feel like I, there's moments when we're talking, I feel like we're in the same room. Right. And I thrive off that. Um, but I don't poo-poo or, or shit on TikTok because I think as many tools for people to express themselves give chances and really cool moments of light and really pure moments, I just suck at TikTok. So I would love to uh, be able to express myself, but it's very difficult for me to Put a phone in front of myself and see myself and um, not feel uncomfortable. So long answer, I would love TikTok to be beneficial for me if I can connect with people that I'm meant to connect with. Um, but I mean, how do you, what's, what are your feelings towards it? Um, I, I think, um, you know, I think that in uh, in music, I think that there has to be a better platform for artists. I, mean, I know everyone talks about this every day. And the thing is that TikTok, anyone can use, okay? Anyone can use. But let's talk about like an artist. See, an artist should be putting in the work where they, you know, they, 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 they work, they work on their craft, they work on their instrument, whatever it is. I mean, and, and you kind of go up the ranks. In sports, 
I mean, you still have to put in the effort to be a professional sports player. But in music, they cut that off. Like in music, there used to be a simulation. There used to be a path, right? I mean, the days of the new age, there still was a system that an artist had to accomplish to get this required result. Well, in music, they kind of took all those ranks and accomplishments and steps away. Basically, you know what's interesting? I, I actually had a friend that just passed away. He was in a big local band, okay? Good singer. But what happened is they had a bunch of great songs. This was in the 90s. And I'm saying to myself, there isn't one recording of that band. But we all know their songs. But there aren't any recordings, but we know all their songs. And that's because in the 90s, you see, there are two things. They, weren't, they didn't have access to studios. Or they were the studio, the producers are too way too expensive. So, but he, what was the benefit of an artist not having access to recording equipment or to a studio? Well, they got to work on their songs, they got to yeah. play out, they worked over and over and over again. Do you know when like you would see an well, you're I'm a little older than you, but I can tell you the typical progression was you would see an artist, you'd hear them play songs, you'd like them, and then a year later. You hear songs that are even better. You speak to the artist and they'll be like, yeah, we're getting there. We, we got some cool stuff going. See, today, an artist would write one song. Yeah. Work it on their and computer. You know, between those two times you saw them, they would probably have like a plethora of experiences. Right. So the difference today is the artist now, they'll write like in their room, they'll record and then they'll upload it. Yeah. There, there's, but guess what? You've cut out all these steps. So the platforms, I don't care what anyone tells you, the platforms has not benefited the, the steps, what makes a great creator. That's like saying, guess what guys? We know how to, we know how to produce professional sport players. Not in 10 years, we can produce them in 30 seconds. Come on. And yeah, you know, I still, I believe that to, 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 to I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'll, but I'll add something to it. I would say I would apply that diagnosis to a lot of things that are able to reach us as listeners and music lovers. I'd say there's more things that are able to reach us that have maybe skipped steps, but I still believe that just because that is the case, I don't think that great things um, don't have a chance to also reach us. I think that it's just a lot of noise. I agree, but absolutely. But here is the thing. When you have like these open platforms like that, open platforms, they breed trolls. They breed scammers and fraudsters. That's what these, I mean, you look on TikTok Anyone can upload that stuff. You're going to get scammers, fraudsters, all of it. And that's the noise. Now, that's an open, no one wants to live in an open platform. It's just at the end of the day, it's like sports. Is sports an open platform? Hey, everyone, everyone's going to try out. No, no, there's barriers. Imagine a sports like everyone try out the whole neighborhood. No, it doesn't work that way. So there has to be a curated system. 
I mean, it can't be overly curated because then it stifles creativity. So something's overly curated, like if, 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 if the labels control everything, they controlled everything, then that becomes highly curated, which stifles creativity. But when everything is open, then it results into lack of quality. The people that need to be heard can't be heard. So right now, we're not living in the middle. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think from my perspective, I think I believe that it's a very pendulum-like quality to the way that we are as listeners and creators. I believe, you know, maybe in the early 2000s, I'd imagine there was a lot of label control. And then suddenly you have bands like the White Stripes coming out and Jet, and people are like, wait, like, what the fuck is this? Like, and then all of a sudden you, you go to like, again, in, in 2008, 9, 10, I remember it was all this like bullshit things on the top of the pop charts. And then this pendulum kind of swings back to you have, you know, Chance the Rappers. And and then, you know, a couple of years ago, there was a lot of like bedroom producers and stuff. And there was a lot of great stuff. And it, it, it almost to me is like, I think that the oscillation um, of it, in my opinion, I, I, I find myself either being overly optimistic or, or a bit pessimistic on things, but I, I'm quite optimistic in the sense of... Me too. Yeah, yeah and, that, and that's the thing. Self-regulate. Yeah, it is. And, and that's the thing, like, and that's another thing is that you can be like, I'm never, wherever we are, I think it's important as a creator, a creator, you never, there's no such thing as going back. We're always moving forward. Okay. I mean, listen, we all know this, that what you're doing today, you're not going to be doing next year. And the people that cannot change, it's like, they just, I mean, it's like business. I mean, you know, I, a guy who's very successful in business said to me, Dean, let me tell you this. If you think what you're doing today, how you're always going to do it, you'll be out of business, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Of course. So I always embrace change, because whether I like it or not. I mean, we all like being comfortable. We all like when we figure something out and when something works, why make a change? Like we're here, it's working. I mean, we, we all kind of fight it a little bit because it creates resistance. And, and But anyway, I'm just saying, I don't like where things were, but I don't like necessarily where things we are right now, which is good because you never want to be too content where we are now Yeah. because then you're always accepting status quo. So all I'm just saying today is, do I think we're living in a perfect environment for creators, for artists? Absolutely not. I Hell no. It's crazy. I have a great disdain for... Um, <laughs> I have a great disdain for the fact that some of my favorite artists also have to be at times some of my most savvy digital marketers. I don't wish that upon them, regardless of myself. I have my life and you know I can choose to do whatever I want to a certain extent, but it's very troubling when I see 
somebody that I know makes the greatest thing and they also have to then be the greatest digital marketer and I'm not saying that who knows I don't have the answers I don't know if that is uh I don't know I just don't as as you said this how we got here there's a whole lot of things to unpack it's it's not just TikTok okay it's not as you said we got here and where we are for a lot of reasons, something that we probably talk about for the next year. But what I do want to talk about is that you're coming out with a five song EP of cover songs on July 27th, self-produced live tracking. Tell me about the EP. The EP is all songs originally written and recorded by artists who passed too soon due to their struggles with drug abuse and addiction. And when I was getting deeper into my recovery journey, I started playing a lot of songs on my guitar that were songs that I listened to in active addiction. And I had a playlist called Songs That Saved My Life. And uh, it ranged from all different sorts of music, whether solemn or um, bright and texture, but I was in a studio and I was playing a cover of Juice World, Wishing Well. And it was almost a folk rendition. And the person I was with was like, yo, that's so weird that you're playing it in that it almost sounds like a Shin song. And I was like, well, I really wanna connect with this song in a way of hope instead of self-destruction right now. And I was like, I feel from watching Juice World interviews, I have listened to him talk about his intentions with that. And so I wanted to make a project that uh, give, gives back and um, all of the proceeds from this cover project go towards addiction and recovery programs. Um, some of the music will be donated to Music Cares, which gives young musicians opportunities for rehab and recovery, and then some other various initiatives um, more locally. but. There's a cover of Mac Miller, Amy Winehouse, Lil Peep, Juice World. Uh, Which Amy Winehouse song are you doing? I did Rehab. <laughs> well, that, that, that's perfect, a uh, perfect title. Uh, yeah. Great. So you're saying you're turning these songs more into folky, is that it? Well, there's folk elements, surely, in the chord progressions. And um, they're more, they remind me of the songs that I would listen to and they would be track eight or 12, the acoustic song on the rock projects that I would listen to. Um, wow, that's cool. That's kind of, um, I'm sure you can conjure some. Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of my- um, And they were actually fantastic tracks. They were actually like like some of the best covers you ever hear. Yeah, I mean, what, the Seether song, Broken, was like one of their biggest song at the, mm-hmm. when I was growing up, and it was just this, well, it wasn't fully acoustic, but the, emotionally uh, it was a very emotive song and I just I started out playing guitar and singing in my bedroom to feel okay and now where I'm at right now is I just wanted to do that again and kind of just making this EP was like hitting a little button on the back of an electronic where you have to like push the pin in on the little thing and find it and it like hard resets um 
it was just a a vision really and I, I wanted to give back and I was just fucking sick of everything and I couldn't create with the idea of just making a cryptic message that is some sort of like promotional so, so what songs were on the ep the track list is good news by mac miller uh-huh. wishing well by juice world star shopping by lil Peep, man in the box by allison chains and rehab by amy winehouse yeah i mean those are, that's a great collection of artists and sad songs I mean, when you said um, these are sad songs, I mean, now, now are they going to, are you keeping them sad or were you trying to go for a different emotion? I think there's elements of, uh, they're very bittersweet to me. It really, I think um, it's hard for me to say that. I feel like a song is so amazing because it's kind of like a bottle of wine in a sense where it's like, when you open it or when you listen to it, it will never be the same again. Even if you listen to it 10 minutes from now. Your world that you're sitting in, whether that's on your headphones, it's in the car, it's during a breakup, it's during a moment of triumph, it's during a binge, it's during a withdrawal. Like it is such a living, breathing thing um, once it's created to me that I think these songs have been on this EP um, moments of pain and also moments of promise for me. Mm. So I hope for people that they find a way to that um, they form their own synapses, so to speak, emotionally with them. And do you have the cover art up yet? The cover art is a Creative Commons licensed uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat piece of art who's another artist who um passed too soon due to an overdose now do you now did you also lastly um do you have upcoming gigs do you have anything booked i don't have any shows booked i'm um i'm mostly just performing uh I'm not really in a space where I want to promote gigs while I'm promoting this EP because I don't believe that I should be explicitly capitalizing off of the, you know, like if I had a I totally, yeah. It's kind of weird promoting, I I totally get it. Now, totally. So how how are you going to introduce this then to 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 the to your audience? How how in a way how you're going to kind of put it out there? It'll be available on all streaming platforms. It'll mm-hmm. be um, there's visuals on YouTube. There's um, but the um, how should I say the crux of the intentions and the um, I'd say the point of uh, the entrance point that gives the most context to it is on my website, which is a bit um, archaic of a move to do, I suppose. But if you go to my website, yoshiflower.me, I wrote a letter and I have it on the website and I have a, a clear set of intentions and a clear story. And I don't know how often that gets a chance to be given to people that aren't really digging for it, but um, I'm here. So where am I going on the, I, where am I supposed to go on the website right now? I'm on it, by the way. 
Yeah, there's a letter called Dear Friend and Got it, Dear Friend. Um yeah. if you're reading Dear Friend, if you're reading this, you know I am a music maker and lover. But the truth is, I want to tell you is that I am also an addict now in recovery. I stepped away for over a year to focus on my mental survival and I reflected on what I know now I must do. I need my reading glasses. I must do with my second chance. All my life, I wanted to escape my reality. My first addiction was music. I wanted to be a rock star and to do what rock stars do. I thought if I could make people love me, then I could finally love myself. I, I love head... I love, I love head, I love, is it lead first into experimenting? Oh, I dove head first into experimenting with substances that eventually almost took my life multiple times. After years of struggling with addiction, I came to learn that the myth of self-destruction that came along with so many of the artists that I shaped who I am, just that a myth, a myth. It is true. I mean, the myth of self-destruction. In music, we have lost too many too soon. To die young is a tragic fate, and I can only imagine the impact these small, these souls would have continued to make if they were able to overcome or hold that drugs and alcohol had upon them. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, so you're really laying, this is great. I mean, I love that letter. I love that you're laying your, your heart on the line. And you, you know what's great is you're, how old are you, Josh? 28. You're 28. I mean, the fact is you're young and you know what drugs do. I mean, I know people who are older who are still addicted to drugs. But you know what I love about you is you know what drove you into drugs. I know people who are drug addicts that they don't know why they're drug addicts. They, I don't know if they know that they're insecure or, or whatever demons they hold. I, you, you, you've come to the conclusion. It's like, listen, this is why I, I got into it. And now you're sharing a message to other people who may be involved. I'm sure many people who are listening to these songs are drug addicts themselves. So I think it's, um, I mean, you, 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 you've at 28, you've, you've, you've learned a lot and um, I, I think, you know, I, I, I think I really do hope that you do reach even more people than you thought with this project. Yeah. I love it. Thanks. Yeah. It's a, uh... You know, you know I, my 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 uh, thoughts are kind of stalling a bit because, like I said, I just attended, a, you know, a funeral yesterday wow. of an artist, singer. I can't even get into the details. I still can't make sense out of it. I mean, it was definitely self-inflicted wounds of 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 what happened. I I, I it is very eerie to me. Uh, of I don't know what kind of mental state he was in, but the actual the cause of death is very disturbing. Like it's, it's definitely not natural, but the way it was played out, it was just very disturbing to me, but, um, sorry that. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, um, so 
Now, when do you think you will tour again? When do you think you will gig? I think that, um, I think quickly just to touch on the point about your friend, I think, I think one of the things that I wish existed was having discussions before things become so dire because I'm not here saying that everybody needs to quit drugs and that everybody needs to be sober. I'm just saying that I would like there to be um, opportunities for people to check in with themselves and loved ones and there be more of a prioritized conversation before things turn into the caricaturized version of an addict or someone who's struggling with their mental health. Because when I got so, when I went into recovery, I wasn't taking, I wasn't living on the streets and I wasn't in jail currently and I wasn't um, robbing anyone. Like it wasn't at the point that I thought it had to be at in order for me to check it out. So I'd say, you know, that was just, you talking about your friend it just made me think of that but as far as touring goes i believe i will start playing more publicly uh promoted shows um maybe later in the year i've been working on an album of original material that after the um foundation of this message that i'm trying to express with this ep um has a bit of time to be uh lived with and um, explored by the people who support me my fans and friends and i think after that um yeah i'd love to tour i mean at 2023 probably um just whenever uh whenever i can put together an amazing show that uh i just want to give right now i really i really just want to give um and i don't really want to take and I feel as though personally right now if I were to promote a show with a lot of tickets and all of that and in the headspace that I'm in just right in this moment I just don't know if that would be so giving um though at times it's the most giving thing for an artist to do but um that's just where I'm at right now so I think maybe in a couple months six months something like that when I have something that I can just provide really um, wholeheartedly and yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but eventually. Great, and now, and now do you plan on releasing any originals in the near future? Yeah, probably, probably. I mean, this is my life and my work, so. I will, uh, I'll touch on that. Um, we'll talk about it as it comes for sure. Um, right now it's just the EP of covers and I'm working on music every day, you know, I'm sitting in my home studio in my little room. So I'm making creations every day. So it will be, it, it, it would be very low odds that I don't end up coming with more original material. All right, Josh. Well, again, um, great chat, great talk. Um, and, and I do, I do want to talk about your original material when, when you're ready to go with that. And, um, and I can't wait until your, um, your cover, your cover EP is out. So again, um, yeah, it's great chatting and, um, we will, um, we'll, we'll be in touch.
Dean, pleasure.